0: So there was a man working in the produce department, and a lady came up to him and asked him if she could purchase half a head of lettuce. Um, And the guy's a little bit puzzled and a little bit put out that the woman would make such a request to ask for half a head of lettuce. And he said, half a head? Are you serious? It only comes in a whole head. You can only buy the whole head. We're not going to cut it in half for you. And the the lady was persistent. She only wanted half a head of lettuce and and demanded that she had been coming to this store for years and years and years. Surely she could buy half a head of lettuce. And so the guy kind of gives up and says, fine, I'll go talk to my manager. And he stomps up to the front of the store and finds his manager and and says, you're not going to believe me, but there is this this lame-brained lady who wants to buy half a head of lettuce and, and the manager is kind of like signaling that, that something is wrong with this conversation and he turns around and the lady has followed him up to the front of the store and has heard this entire thing and, 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 the, and the, the sales clerk says um, and this nice lady was wondering if she could buy the other half And so pretty quick on his feet there. And so so they, they get the whole thing worked out. And later that day, the manager comes and, and asks the employee, that was the finest example of thinking on your feet. How were you able to do that? Where did you learn to be so quick? And, and the fellow responds, I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And if you know anything about Grand Rapids, you know it's known for its great hockey teams and for its ugly women. And... Um, The manager's face gets a little bit red and says, my wife is from Grand Rapids. And the man says, well, which hockey team did she play for? (laughs) Surely we can spin this in a good way, Right? But sooner or later, no matter how quick we are on our feet, which I am not, I have to still sermon illustrations to be that quick, but, but in order for us to, to be quick on our feet, sometime that is going to come back and get us, right? We can only be so quick with our tongues. It's going to get us into trouble. Maybe you can relate to this old line, the greatest way to save face is to keep the lower part shut, And so our speech gets us into trouble more often than not, doesn't it? What we say has incredible power, and so we are in this series on James, going through the book of James, looking at how he instructs us to put our faith into action, that real genuine faith will result in some sort of change in our lives, That if we really have faith, if we really believe in God, then then our lives will be different in some way. And not only will our actions be different, but as we get into chapter 3 today, we'll see that our language is different. Our words are different because of what we believe about God. And so we're going to plow through a pretty big chunk of scripture today. We're going to start in chapter 3, verse 1, and we're going to go all the way to chapter 4, verse 12. And so we're going to bite off a lot today, so if you want to follow along in your Bible, that would probably be best. I'm going to have all the text up on the screen, but you'll probably want to follow along just so you can see how it all flows. So remember, James is writing to a group of Christians who have been scattered because of persecution. And so remember, this is who he's writing to. These are people who are in a tough situation. And of all the things to choose to talk about, he chooses to talk about their language, Their words, the power of the tongue. And words flow from the tongue, but but even more importantly, words flow from the hearts. The very core of who we are overflows into what we say. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, "...a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart." For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so we know the source of our words comes from our heart and what is filling our heart. So let's look at James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Basically saying no one, right? When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider the great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, Oh, world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell." Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Now, as you listen through that and read through that, remember who we're talking to. We're talking to these persecuted Christians who are scattered. Remember, James has been talking about favoritism. He's been talking about putting our faith into action. He's been talking about how we treat others, how we treat the poor, how we care for the disenfranchised. This is what he's been talking about, and he continues these themes on through here. Because with our tongue, we praise the Father but we curse human beings. Remember, he talked about the favoritism of of treating the rich well and treating the poor poorly. And so we use the same tongue to sing great songs of worship, but that same tongue is used against others. There's this great responsibility that comes with teaching God's word. Because these are the words of God and they have such power. Words have power. And so the words that we use should be done very intentionally and very purposefully. With these words come great potential for sin. And and James says all of us are susceptible to that. Even James himself says we all stumble. So he includes himself in this. that, That we all can fall with the words that we speak. The tongue is such a dangerous thing. James makes, it, makes a really big deal out of it. He spends a lot of time here talking about the dangers and the power of the tongue. And it shows up throughout Scripture. We've got Paul in Romans chapter 3 who quotes several different psalms. He says, Their throats are open graves. Their tongues pra- practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. The tongue is full of dangerous things. James has been talking about what mature faith looks like, a a faith that is complete, a faith that is perfect. And someone who is able to control their tongue is able to control their entire body perfectly. And so we know that none of us are perfect, and so we're not going to be able to perfectly control our tongue. We're not going to be able to perfectly control our bodies, but it's something that we work toward there's tremendous power in our words. And James gives us several examples of small things that can move really big things. And so he gives us this illustration of the horse. You put, you put the, the bit in the horse's mouth, and you can steer that entire horse based on the bit that's in the horse's mouth. And a well-trained horse, you just put the reins up against their neck and that will move their entire body into the direction that you want them to go. You take a ship, which we don't have a lot of experience with here in the desert, but you take the ship that apparently has this rudder, and it steers it through water. Now, the only experience I have is on a canoe trip that we went on. Um, Laura and I were sharing a canoe together, and, and the side that you paddle on will dictate what direction it goes, right? And so I am working as hard as I can to get this dumb canoe going in the right direction. And I turn around, and Laura is pedaling in the exact opposite direction. And all of our friends behind us are just cracking up, laughing. And so we won't read too much into the metaphor there of our relationship— but a small thing can move a large thing. It sets the direction. It sets the course. How you use it sets the course of your life. And then this illustration that we're very familiar with, this idea of forest fires, that just a very small spark can cause such tremendous destruction. We see in the bit and in the, in the rudder of the ship that these, are, these can be good things, right? But in the illustration of the fire, now something is destructive. It's burning a path, and it's caused by hell itself. And so if we have a man or woman who stirs up conflict, if they are a gossip, or someone who criticizes everything, or someone who has a critical heart, this is the person who leaves behind a path of burned-up relationships. The fire burns a path. This is a person who is hurt many people, words hurt. We've all experienced words that hurt, whether it's from childhood or beyond, words that that sink deeply into us and make an impression on us and hurt us. And even though we know that this perfect maturity would uh, be to recognize the power of the tongue and control it, as humans, we have an inability to control it. We can't control our tongues. We need to recognize the danger of it so that we can try to prevent it, but we also need to recognize our inability to tame the tongue. We can't tame the tongue. It's impossible to tame the tongue because the problems of the tongue go far deeper than just the mouth. The problems of the tongue go to the heart. The real source of our speech problems are our heart problems. The words we speak are an indication of our heart. They're an indication of our spiritual condition. And so we talked a lot last week about the fruit that we bear because of a life of faith, a a, a life of faith that's put into action. And in the same way, our, our speech is the fruit of our hearts. James gives us several examples here of fresh water and fig trees and grapevines and salt ponds and all these things we don't know anything about. But he basically says, the right thing is going to bear the right fruit. So don't expect the wrong thing to come out. So if the wrong thing is coming out of your mouth, there's something wrong with the heart. And if you want the right things to be coming out of your mouth, you need to get your heart right. Ultimately, sinful words come out of his sinful hearts. Jesus puts it this way, expanding more on Luke chapter 6. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so Jesus tells us that our tongue problems are heart problems. We don't need a spiritual tongue doctor, but we need a spiritual cardiologist. One that will come in and repair our hearts and get our hearts right. And so thankfully we have that. We have someone who will come in and give us the heart surgery that we need, that will repair the heart God comes in and transforms our hearts. He gives us the wisdom needed for maturity and for completeness. 1 Corinthians 1.24 tells us that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus is God's wisdom given to us. And again in Colossians 2, God wants us to know his wisdom. He wants us to know it, and he gives Jesus to us. And in Jesus, he hides all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge. It's in Jesus that we find wisdom. And so after James talks about the power of the tongue, he talks about the importance of, of understanding it and trying to bridle it in some way, he starts in on this idea of two different kinds of wisdom. And there's a section break here in your chapter. We, or in, 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 there's different headings that you have that kind of divide this up into different chunks. But the thoughts continue to flow as he talks about wisdom. Think about wisdom in context of what our speech is. Chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart's Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, Full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And so we have here these two kinds of wisdom. And think about the words that we use and the speech that we have and how it can be influenced by these two kinds of wisdom. There's the wisdom of the world, this wisdom comes from hell. It is motivated by our self-centered ambitions, a concern about ourselves, a concern about how to advance ourselves or promote ourselves or assert ourselves. That's all rooted in this worldly, selfish wisdom. And so this is a wisdom that leads to chaos and to sin. But there's an alternative to the wisdom of the world. Godly wisdom comes from heaven. It comes from a different place, not from the world. And this is a wisdom that is others-focused. You see this theme coming on through James? This focus on others? We should, um, it's this focus on others. It's peace-loving, it's considerate, it's submissive, it's merciful. It bears fruit. It's impartial. It's honest. This is the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of God of the world. And remember way back in James chapter 1 verses 5 and 6, he talks about this idea of wisdom and he reminds us that if we lack wisdom, what should we do? We ask God for it. If you lack wisdom, ask for it because he's the one that gives it. And so we need to be going to God in prayer and and through the word to receive his wisdom for life. God gives wisdom when we humbly ask for it. And so if we're having trouble with our words, if we're having trouble with our speech, a way to repair our hearts is to ask for God to give us the wisdom necessary to be able to be transformed in what we say. James gives us such a contrast here. There's the disorder and the evil that comes from selfish ambition, but then there is the peace And the righteousness that comes from God. And that's what we need to be desiring. This leads us to the second set of comparisons that he gives us, starting in chapter 4, verse 1. Remember, we're talking about these relationships with each other. We're talking about our speech. We're talking about the, the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. And he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? What causes that? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Back to that heart thing. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. We're supposed to ask God for the wisdom. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, and you spend what you get on your pleasures. It's all self-centered. Think about it. What is it that causes these things? What is really at the root of the fights that we have and the arguments that we get into? Is it something about the desire of our own hearts that are not being met more than the situation that's really going on? The desires of our hearts are where the conflicts start. It's a battle that's going on in us because of and and it becomes a battle that's among us. But ultimately, it becomes a battle against God and our submission to Him. And so the reason that there is a battle raging within us is because we have become friends with the world. We're seeking the wrong source of wisdom. We're looking to the world for our source. And so conflict is motivated by our our longing for earthly pleasures, our earthly desires. And so this sets us up against God, it sets us up against his wisdom and what he wishes for us. And so we're prideful to think that we can live our worldly lives as friends with the world and compartmentalize that away from God. But God opposes the proud. But James says there's an alternative. There's not just friendship with the world, there's also friendship with God. In this relationship, we submit ourselves to God by running away from the devil. We grieve and we mourn over sin in our lives and sin around us, and we pursue purity. We humble ourselves before God. We trust him to be who he says he is. Then James goes on to finish with one more comparison. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you who... Who are you to judge your neighbor? And so in chapter 2, we talked about favoritism and, and, and judging others. And then we move into this talk about speech and the power of the tongue and the power of the words that we have. And as we go through trying to find ways to use words correctly, we have to seek God's wisdom not worldly wisdom. We're friends with God to gain that wisdom, not friends with the world. And so we come here at the end with two types of speech, coming full circle back to this idea of speaking. There's one that's rooted in worldly wisdom, the worldly friendship. This is the speech that dishonors God. Worldly speech discourages others. It dishonors one another, the relationships that we're to be in with one another. But godly speech encourages one another and and exalts God. And this is what we're called to, that our words have power. Our words have power for good in lifting one another up. Our, Our words also have incredible power to do great harm in tearing one another down. And so as we think about this idea of speech, it's not just this idea of whether or not I'm a gossip or whether or not I cuss or whether or not whatever the speech thing is that that comes to mind, it's it's much bigger than that because words have power and we need to be using words. We don't need to just keep our mouths shut, but we need to be using words with great godly wisdom because there is power in those words. And so I want you to pause for just a moment and reflect on this very large chunk of Scripture that we've flown through and spend just a moment reflecting what is God saying to you through this passage? What's popping out at you? What catches your attention? What captures your imagination? And so I want to spend just a moment of silence as you reflect on what you've heard and what you've read. What is God saying to you this morning? Let's pause there. As disciples of Jesus, as ones who follow him, as ones who seek his wisdom, And seek his friendship. We need to recognize that we have a responsibility. We we have a job to do. We have a responsibility to speak truth and love to one another. That we need to use our powerful words. And James has been telling us that, that true faith will result in action. And so how we speak to one another is part of that. Will your faith impact the words that you use? Will you speak knowing that you have the words of God and the power of His Spirit behind it? As disciples, we also need to recognize the power of words, not just the power to harm, but the power to bring glory to God. This isn't a a passage that is just about keeping your mouth shut. This is a passage about using our words in powerful ways for the glory of God. And so we need to recognize that we have a responsibility to take the good news of Jesus beyond these walls, beyond what we're comfortable with, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into the nations. We speak words of life. Words that have power to transform the heart of people. words that have the power to change lives. And those are the words that are given to us as followers of Jesus. Paul tells us in Romans 10, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one to whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. We have a word given to us, and there is power in these words. And so as we wrap up our time this morning, I want you to, to think about what God has been saying to you. As, as you went through this text, what was it that he is, is speaking to you about? And now I want to call you into action and say, what are you going to do about it? As we talked last week, faith, simply hearing it, is not enough. that You have to do something with it. And so what is that next step this week? that you need to take? What is the next step for you as it relates to what God is sharing with you here? How are you using your words? What is he calling you into? Some of you need to stop using Facebook. Some of you need to delete certain posts. Some of you need to not respond in social media because the words that you have are powerful. Some of you need to have conversations with people that you've been avoiding. You need to seek godly wisdom in conflicts that are coming up in your lives. How do you need to use your words this week? Let's stand together. We're going to spend some time in prayer. And I think one of these things, when, when you feel God convicting you to take action in some way, it is very easy to hold that to yourself, walk out these doors, and then completely forget about it. And so part of this prayer time is to actually help hold one another accountable to the actions that God is calling us to and so if, if there is something that you want to take a step on I want you to share that with somebody it can be someone sitting next to you or somebody in your small group or class across the room or you can come forward to one of the shepherds but share this is the action that I need to take and I want you to ask me about it next week. How different would this week be if we walked out of this door, these doors and applied the things that God's putting on our hearts instead of just thinking about it? It's time to take action. Let's spend some time in prayer together. The shepherds would be down front. You can pray with one another, encourage one another, strengthen one another. Use your words as gifts to others as you go and ask, how can I pray for you? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your words. We thank you for uh, the incredible message that you give us. And so, God, I pray that you will help us to continue to listen to what you have for us. That we will be changed and transformed because of what you are saying to us. God, move in us and among us. Help us as we we engage in this prayer time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.